Another episode of the Behind the You podcast. It is brought to you by You Fit Gyms. Maybe we'll get the rowing team in there. Train together, win together. Introducing You Fit Gyms is the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join them. All it takes is a dollar down. Let's go, Canes. Joining us and joining our family here in Coral Gables is the new rowing coach at the University of Miami, James Mulcahy. Coach, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're, we're like 10 days into being in this beautiful city. How you've, uh, have you even had a chance to, to enjoy it? Get out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been great. Everyone has been super friendly, super welcoming, and super helpful. I'm uh, just starting to explore Coral Gables in Miami a little bit, so I'm starting to get out there, but obviously I love it so far, so I can't, can't wait to, you know, you know get, get to see the rest, so... <laughs> what so what what uh and by the way i hear a little do i hear that canadian do i hear a little canadian t- twins oh yeah in probably yeah okay all right so we'll get to that um <laughs> it's an interesting journey right canada tuscaloosa coral gables that's a nice mm-hmm. little it's a nice little path we'll touch on that here as we you know we like to uh endeavor on your journey so we'll definitely we'll have you explain your path but what excited you about this what excited you about Obviously, I'm sure becoming a head coach or running a program sure. was one of them. But what excited you about uh, what excited you about Miami, the University of Miami in this in the rowing program? Sure. So, I mean, it it goes without saying Miami as a as a as a school and an athletic department, obviously, it, the, the reputation precedes itself. Right. So Miami is one of those those brands that commands your attention as as soon as you find out there's an opportunity there. Right. Obviously, through the interview process, you, you you meet with the 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 administration first, right? And the the very first thing that that stuck out to me coming from, you know, Sherelle Jackson, my 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 sport oversight and our director of student athlete development, and then onward through through everyone else who whom I got to meet, there was a genuine and palpable excitement not not a sense of excitement, just just straight up excitement <laughs> for, for the rowing team here. And that that's fantastic. Um, it, it's definitely a sport here that a, as a department, we, we feel like th- they did some really great stuff last year, especially at the end of the season. We've, we've got so many returners and, and this is not, you know, this is not a rebuild. This is not a, I'm the new sheriff in town. Come to come to clean up a broken program or anything like that. Coach Sanderson left this program in great shape. Um, the the school had a lot of time to to make make decisions both on the front end and the back end of who they wanted to come in next and lead this program. And it, it was an, it was so great get, getting to meet you know, my my bosses and my coworkers kind of thing and. And they, they knew about rowing. They knew about the successes. They knew about the challenges. They they had ideas already about how to how to improve, refine, address certain things, soliciting my input as well, obviously. But it was just it was so simpatico right from the beginning about that this is what we like about our team. This is what we foresee our team being capable of doing and what what's your input on it and okay sounds like we're in lockstep now now let's make it happen so so that was fantastic off the front end then obviously you you get down here and i'm sure you know i'm gonna sound like a tourist and everyone says this but it's it's rowing in paradise it's going to school in paradise it's there's there's no nicer place to 
be a student, be a student athlete from, from what I've seen, at least <laughs> then down here at Miami. So, so that, that's step two. And that, that, that's the, that's a real easy, <laughs> easy step. And then since I've gotten here, it's been the, the welcome from everyone, but it, it's been wonderful having so many, so many of the rowers re reach out, right. And the, just confirming that everything that I, that, I was told about and got to explore during the interview process. Like it's all for real. There's no, there's no smoke and mirrors or anything like that. This is, this is a team of athletes that are, are hungry for success. They're excited for the next chapter of Miami rowing. They're, they're already proud of being Miami hurricanes. They're already proud of, of what they were able to achieve last year. And they're excited for what's to come. So yeah, so obviously I'm only 10 days in, but yeah, so far it's, it's been all, been all green lights. It's been awesome. So you mentioned that the administration kind of had some ideas, right. You know, uh, of what they wanted to do, which for you coming in is like, great, we're going to, we're going to, you know, it's, it's, I don't have to push that. They already, they already <laughs> want to be a part of the process uh, of whatever's next. So whatever you can share, uh, sure. That doesn't give anyone any dirt. Like, what were some of the things you heard that like got you excited from them that they were already invested in whatever whatever you might have wanted to accomplish and ideas that you were going to bring to the table? The the ability for the coaches to focus on what needs to be done from a coaching standpoint and ensuring that the athletes have all, all the support outside of you know outside of training as well. Um, so, so that was identified, you know, before I was even interviewed sort of thing. Right. So, so that, that's something right off the bat was, you know, Sherelle speaking with her and her being able to say like, yeah, we, we, we want this team to not lack for anything from a support standpoint. And that that's something, you know, we're already in the process of addressing and you're going to be able to come in here for form a staff that that's going to be best suited for, for this team. And, coaches get to coach and that's that's always uh that, that's always uh, a dream yeah exactly that that's always wonderful to hear as a coach right so so that that's exciting right off the bat i mean obviously we're we're going to um you know again it's it's more getting into road stuff now but ha having everything we need from a budgetary equipment support standpoint right we're we're, we're not just going to be able to coach the way we want to coach we're going to be able to recruit where we want to recruit we're going to be able to put the athletes in the sort of equipment that we need to be able to put them in to succeed at the highest level so it's obviously going to take some time and not, nothing happens overnight right and it, none of this ever comes before the, the the hard work and the passion that the student athletes put into the sport so i'm certainly not trying to you know fetishize everything outside of the outside of the work that we're going to do in practice but just just having having that in the back of your head that the, this school, this department, they they they've got our back, so that when when we we need that support that goes outside of sitting in the coach's launch and and coaching the athletes on the water, when we get them back to campus, they're they're going to be you know they're they're already going to be fueled, right? They don't need to wait to get back to campus. They're going to get fueled at at the boathouse, right? We're we're gonna you know, they're going to have access to our, our trainer is great. And she, she's going to, you know, get, get more help. Like it's everything is, is all, all systems ago to make sure this team has everything it needs to, to support them in, in the journey we're going to take over this year and many years to come. So that that's a fantastic feeling knowing, knowing you're walking into that situation. You said, so interesting journey. Um, so let's even take it, rewind it a step back. 
how did the Alabama opportunity, you're in Canada coaching, mm-hmm. and maybe you could explain just a little bit at what level, and then how does that door sure. open to come to the States and get into collegiate rowing? Sure. Um, trying to think which end to start from here. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so my, my, my stop before Alabama, I was in, in Toronto. So that that's Canada's largest city. It's, it's actually about the same size as Miami, about, you know, 6 million people in the Metro area. Um, I'm not sure which one's slightly bigger than the other, but that, that was nice living in Toronto at Miami. is like a, they're, they're both very cosmopolitan cities, both very fast paced, fun places to live. Right. So Miami's like a warmer version of Toronto so far to me. So that, that's why I tell all my friends back home. <laughs> um, so anyways, I was at the, how'd you, by the way, so how'd you, how'd you describe Tuscaloosa then? <laughs> I mean, Tuscaloosa, it's, it's a college town, right. And, um, yeah. you know, everyone there lo- loves the Crimson Tide and it's, you know, but it's, it's a very hospitable place. It's only about a hundred thousand people. So def, definitely a little slower pace. It, it, uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. You know, my, my wife and I were, were happy there with the change of pace initially. And, uh, but we're also very happy to be, you know, c- coming back into a more, you know, a more, uh, happening place as well. So, gotcha. so you're all right. So, uh, sorry, I just throw that in there. I just no, no throw that in there. And by the way, the two words that matter are Mario Cristobal, not Nick Saban. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. All right. So we're in Toronto. It's a colder yeah. version of Miami. You're, you're, yeah. you're, and you're doing what? Yeah. So I'm at the Argonaut Rowing Club, and that's one of Canada's largest, oldest, most successful rowing clubs. And um, wh- when I was hired there, they uh, they only had a very few number of of junior age rowers, high school age rowers. So my my task there was. Let, let's create a, a junior rowing program in you know Canada's largest city. And there's a couple of other rowing clubs in the area as well. So, you know, there's some competition for wh- where kids are going to pick to go row, right? So it, it was great, great time there. Um, great support from the adult rowers, from the parents, you know. And uh, at the end of year one, we had, I think it was close to like 80 kids rowing for us. You know, I came in there, we had 10, right? And then... Um, I also got to do work with the Canadian, it, at the time it was called the uh, Row to Podium program. So that was um, to identify, develop, and coach the underage national team. So the under 19 and the under 23 teams. So would um, they'd have regional camps every month. So I get to attend attend those, get to work with the national team coaches, get the you know, great experience do, doing all that. Um, every summer, get a get like a, a junior team position. So it was the Canamex team. So anyone who didn't make the team going to the world championships would go to the, this continental championship regatta. Um, so yeah, I've spent two, two years at the Argonaut Rowing Club. We're working mainly with under 19 and some under 23 aged athletes, but primarily juniors. And it's everything from, you know, from the ground up grassroots, building a program w- with novices, you, you know, teaching them how to row to, you know, helping these 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, pursue, pursue national team endeavors. Um, we moved to Toronto because my wife was a uh, headhunted for a job. Um, so uh, we, we, we got a couple of years in there and, and I, I rode in, in undergrad in, in New York city. So I had done the, the collegiate rowing route and, I was kind of at a crossroads, I guess you could say a little bit with, with my career and my, my wife was ready to to pivot again to another, to another thing. And I thought, you know, it, it would be great to 
to take a run at collegiate coaching in the NCAA, you know, before I age out, let's call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we, what, what my wife and I did was we, we sat down and we, we made a list of, of schools where we, we were both okay moving toward. And that list was, uh, we, you know, my, my must have, so to speak on the list where I wanted to go to a, a brand name, you know, recognizable power five style program. I wanted to go to a program that need, needed some help to, to, to get successful, you know, maybe wasn't already established up there at the top, but had, had the, had the, the, the growth potential to get there. And, uh, my, my, I know we're Canadian, but, uh, we, we don't like winter so much, my, my wife and I. So, you know, we're kind of like somewhere down south would, would also fit the bill pretty nicely on, on that front. So um, as luck would have it, Alabama had an opening about this time of year, actually. It was very late in the summer. Um, I guess they'd had a, had a devil of a time trying to fill an assistant coach position just couple of things had fallen through and uh the coach at the time larry davis he, he basically got you know permission from hr to just like okay like go and staff this position now kind of thing like post it on on all the websites and stuff and that's how i saw it so i i sent coach davis an email and he like i think he called me you know like two hours later and was like all right when when can we get you down for an interview and it was a it was a real whirlwind so it, it took like two or three weeks from, you know, initial email asking about the position to me uh, being on staff there. Holy. So it's like a, like a straight up zip recruiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a perfect confluence of, of events behind the scenes that, that yeah, led me to be able to, to get, get in there so quickly. <laughs> wow. That's, that's almost amazing. That's almost un in the world of college athletics, it usually doesn't happen that way. It's almost exactly. It was a very fortunate for me. You know, I'm sure it was stressful on the staff at the time trying to get the position filled. But yeah, for me, it was it was. Yeah, you'd you'd have to say it was like fate almost like it just fell into place that quickly. <laughs> so as as the head coach now, James, uh, yes. wherever you keep your list, notepad, phone, computer. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> 10 days in the list is long and deep, but what's on yeah. the first page? What's on the first page? Like, where does one, where does, where do you start? How does it start? Sure. So, so the, the, the first item on the list is obviously, well, I, I'm a, I'm a by the books procedural kind of guy. So the first item on the list was, you know, go through all my online training, meet, meet with, meet with the compliance staff, start to work on putting together our playing and practice season and, you know, just get, get the bones in place for for what the year to come is going to look like what what's great about um being here at miami is you know all of us coaches we're all in the same building so it's been great just being able to go and knock on people's doors introduce myself and you know it's funny it's funny you should say everyone. that because uh guys from the football team or new new guys in the football team um said the same thing that they were at the hotel and mm -hmm. it was like a fraternity house. They would just, yeah. you know, they get out of practice and then it was like, just keep hanging out because there was no yeah. family wasn't around. No one else is around. You're in that sure. transition state. But they said it really helped from a bonding standpoint and just kind of, yeah. you know, you know, shooting this, you know what about the sport and whatever's next in the season and the team and the process, and the program, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So, yeah. And then, you know, the, the other week one item was, uh, 
put put together it, it, we're obviously in the summer it's the off season so you know i'm not able to like run practice and, and stuff like that with the athletes but we reach out to the athletes send them send them an introductory email but beyond that like here's what to expect in terms of what the sort of training we're going to be doing here here's like you know like a recommended if you need something to get you through the rest of the summer here's what i recommend you focus on here's what we're going to do you know as soon as you get back and just just you know make make sure they know my my phone's on my door's open and if you want to come by and say hi or shoot an email or something like that you know obviously we'll all meet each other here eventually but you know the more faces uh, i get to see in the meantime that that's great too so so that that was that was pretty much week 1 aside from you know like settling in exploring Miami and while walking around campus and trying trying to learn my way around and all that and what about so from a uh, recruiting standpoint or is your team yeah. settled for this come for this upcoming year and then when can you begin to start you know looking at the the sure. upcoming years as you move forward and I don't know when is that even you know when does when does the um to what level from a, from an age standpoint, do you start scouting, recruiting, sure. contacting, like how, how, in your sport, what is sort of that path look like? Sure. Um, so for, for rowing, you know, our, our rules are very similar to m most other, other sports rules, right? We're, we're allowed to start having contact with recruits at, you know, that summer between their, their, their sophomore and junior year of high school. You know, initially you can start making phone calls, texts, and emails on June 15th. And then on August 15th, you can start making uh, you know, in-person contact with the with the rising juniors. So from a recruiting standpoint in general, rowing's a really interesting sport. Um it's generally considered a late entry sport. There's not there, there's more move there's more movement on this happening stateside nowadays to get let's call it like ten to fourteen year olds a soft introduction to to sport. A lot of programs are just running these you know like middle school camps and stuff like that. More more like the the fundamental side of things with an emphasis on fun, but teaching them the basics of you know, boatmanship and how, how to work, you know, how, how the rowing stroke works and just how, how to move a boat under your own power on the water. It's, it's actually a really cool feeling if you think about it, right? You just, you get out in the, the big floppy training boat, you're not going to go fast, but hey, you're doing it. <laughs> you know, no one else is helping you. Um, so kids are getting started a little earlier in some places, but at least in North America, rowing still primarily a, a sport you, you don't really sink your teeth into until at least high school. So it's mainly, you know, 14, 15 years old is generally still the the primary uh, you know, entering phase into And geographically, rowing. is it uh is there like a hot zone geographically stateside for rowing? Yeah, yeah, it's it's getting uh it's certainly spreading more. Um rowing's definitely a sport that that's on the rise. The the traditional hotbeds in the US are North, you know, Mid-Atlantic, New England, um, Pacific Northwest as well. A lot, a lot of rowing tradition out there. But what what I've seen, let's just say, like in my rowing lifetime, so so to speak, over the last twenty two years, is like Florida is coming coming on strong on the rowing scene. There's some fantastic both scholastic and club based programs for 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 junior rowers now in the state of Florida some of the best in the country California has got you know it's kind of like all the cold places had rowing first and it was ironically a popular sport up there right 
And now the warm places are starting to be like, hey, this is a really good, this is a really good sport. This is a really healthy activity for the youth to get into. And this is, this is a chance to pursue high level, you know, everything from high level competitive interests, you know, try to get into the NCAA, try to get on a national team, try to row the Olympics to just, this is a really fun after school activity to do with your friends to learn healthy lifestyles, right? So, so it's, it's slowly spreading, you know, down the coasts to be more and more popular. And it's fun. Like, like there's a, there's a, a new program out at you know like lake las vegas <laughs> you know what i mean out in the desert and in, in arizona texas is, is getting on the bandwagon with, with junior age rowers um there there's some some great you know old clubs from the 19th century up around the great lakes in the midwest uh you, you know so it's definitely becoming a more nationwide sport there are still i guess what you call maybe some rowing dead zones you know like there, there's still a handful of states where i'm pretty sure there's probably not even a single incorporated rowing club in them yet but hey we we've got we've got rowing at all age levels everywhere from alaska you know alaska to florida and almost every state in between now <laughs> so and when, when can you get your eyes on rowers and, and in your sport, is that scholastically or through club where you can really kind of yeah. kind of get the most bang for your buck, so to speak? Yeah. So sorry, that wasn't an NIL, that wasn't an NIL reference. Sorry. That wasn't an NIL you know, reference. You know, <laughs> optimize, how about to optimize your time? How about that? Exactly. So tr traditionally in rowing, um, the spring is the, the high school season. Okay. And the summer is for club level rowing. Now, in some places, your your high school and your club might be basically the same thing. So you're just training, you know, year round with the same people. But there's definitely some like summer only high performance rowing clubs, which are kind of more like camps. You know what I mean? Like you go and you attend them for six to eight weeks. So in May, there are the high school championship regattas. So the two big ones um it's called the Stotesbury Cup Regatta in Philadelphia, and that's a, I should have fact-checked this, but a very old, prestigious high school regatta and attracts. Can I, can I, I'm either attempt to impress you or embarrass me. Is that on the Schuylkill? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got it. It's on the Schuylkill River. Yeah, Boathouse I'll, I'll Road. give away my secret. I, I actually went to college in Philadelphia, so that's where, oh, I, that's where I got it. There you go. There you we're go. Fel, we're actually you. fellow Ivy, we're fellow Ivy Leaguers. There we go. Oh, so you went to Penn. All right. Yes, gotcha. sir. Yes, sir. And, I, right. and I think that's the first time I actually even was introduced to rowing. My mm -hmm. freshman roommate tried out for the team. And I think after the first one or two practices, I was just like, man, that's that's rough. <laughs> just that wasn't even me. It was me watching him. It was like, that's a tough sport. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, you got the Stotesbury Cup regatta and then like the, the you know, the Scholastic National Championships. So those are your your high school championship regattas. Then U.S. rowing, the, our, you know, our governing body for the sport in the country, they, they put on two national championship regattas. So they do one. It's called the U.S. Rowing Youth National Championships. And that's um, for the last several years, that's been in Sarasota. So right in our backyard kind of thing. Um, and that that's open to clubs high schools what's great about it is just sort of like anyone who's you know fast enough to qualify or thinks they're fast enough to bring a crew down here to contend for a national championship like we, we you know we don't care you can row for your school you can row for your club like let's just let's just see who's fast so that that's a phenomenal regatta and then in july usually early to mid july there's the uh the u.s rowing summer 
national championships and that's undergone a few iterations it used to be like the club national championships so like you had to represent a club then they kind of split it so that there was like an, an adult a senior championship and a, a separate youth championship just to make the logistics a little simpler so and that that's still that's still primarily your your club championship regatta so that that was actually my first uh official um task was my, my first official day was july 11th and kind of a roundabout way to get down to Miami, I actually went up to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, because they put on a, a recruiting fair for colleges to attend there where the athletes can come and meet coaches, you know, once their racing is over and provided they're, you know, <laughs> of the correct age. Um, so it's a, like a controlled venue for the athletes to come and meet coaches. So that was actually my first, you know, official UM a uh, bit, a bit of business was going going up to the the summer youth national championships in Oak Ridge to to meet meet with some recruits as as the Miami coach. So, is uh does the U so like the actual U right the flash the U the U does it right exactly right in your sport like when people see it is it still sort of impact the way it kind of the way you described at the beginning when you were even talking about it trying to be a coach like when people see that in your sport does it resonate. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's just look at our team's Instagram page, seeing all our athletes throwing up the U, you know, after a race coming back in the dock. I mean, it, it, I don't want to, you know, wax philosophical, but there it's symbols are powerful. Right. And, you know, having the U like that, that's such an iconic symbol. Every, every, it's, you know, it, it's, it's the collegiate sports symbol. Right. So yeah, absolutely. You throw up the U and, Obviously, I'm going to be wearing Miami gear yes, no matter sir. where I'm going. But hey, you know, if I'm ever, if some, I don't know, if my luggage ever gets lost or whatever, and I just got to wear a plain white T-shirt, I can just flash the U to anyone, and they 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 know where I'm coming from. They 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 have an idea already of 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 what I'm about and what I'm representing, and that that's that that's fantastic. You know, you you, you can't buy that, right? It's it's great. Absolutely. So for for people that are listening to this, that are. Uh... UM fans, hurricane people, but may or may or may not know as much about rowing as you do. Sure. Um, uh, explain sort of like, explain the boat, the positions, the team, sure. right? Like, and, and you know, we see from the outside, everyone's sort of rocking in unison or rowing in unison, right? But I imagine, sure. just like any other sport, positions have different responsibilities, require different skill sets. Sure. There, so maybe if you could give us a, a brief sort of like. How, how you put a team together, sure. sort of what you look for at certain positions sure. and, and, and then just getting that all to synchronize. Yeah, for sure. So there, there's more to it than this, but I'll just go over how NCAA rowing works just so we don't get too far into the weeds and ask away. Um, so we will race 99% of the time because all of our spring competitions will be in the NCAA boat classes. So we have the first eight. So that is eight rowers and one coxswain. So it's actually nine. It's called an eight, but it's it's nine athletes in the boat. Um, then we will put together a second eight. So that will be the next eight best rowers and, and the second best coxswain. Then you'll move into smaller boats. So they're fours. So four rowers plus a coxswain. So first four. So those three boats constitute your NCAA squad. And the way this is actually pretty unique in rowing to have like a team point scoring format that determines your champion. Like at the Olympics World Championships, it's all 
they'll they'll do a, a team total right but it, everyone just kind of cares about the individual medalists and all the events so with the way the ncaa is unique is it's your team performance that dictates what your your national ranking is what your standing is at the ncaa championships conference championships so at the ncaa scoring level the first eight is worth three points per position and counts as the tiebreaker. The second eight is two points per position and the first four is one point per position. And then you add up the, the, the placements and the scores of those three boats. And that's how the national championship is determined in division one rowing. So yeah, every placement that your first eight gets is going to be worth three points. So if Got there's like 22 teams at the NCAA championship, then, you know, the, the winner of the, the first day, I guess, you know, multiply that by by three or, you know, get 66 points or it might be 69 because 22nd place gets three points, says zero points. But you, you get where I understood. Right. Yeah. And then when we just backtrack a little bit two weeks earlier, let's say due to the ACC championships, they, they'll do those three events in that order. And then you have two more boat classes. So you have a second four and then a third eight. And it, the point scoring is obviously a little different because you have to expand it to encompass all five of those boats. But again, it's the cumulative point total of all five of those boats that and, determine where and you do have a roster of however many, you know, eight, 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 four, four, or rowers can enter intertwine on, on different boats. Yeah. So it's that that's where your lineup setting comes into, into play, right? Obviously the, the, the goal for any, any coach, any program is your first day needs to be your fastest boat. So it needs to be the eight best combination of, of your best rowers rowing together with, with the best coxswain steering them down the course, calling out the race plan, giving them their instructions while, while they're out there training or racing and then so on and so forth down the chain. But we're, we're coaching humans. We're not coaching robots. Right. So <laughs> now that will change as the year we, goes we, on. Yeah. You, you, obviously there's the, the typical injuries and illness that, you, you know, no, always occur despite everyone's best efforts obviously you know some kids will, will get sick they'll have to you know sit out a little bit for, for a variety of reasons life happens but also there's just that effect of development yeah like you know so, someone might really come on strong at the end of the year someone might you, you know plateau a little bit right so part part of your job as a coach is obviously you want to bring all athletes along but you also have to understand that not everyone's going to develop at the same rate so who might be your 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 top eight at the first competition let's say in, in february or march very likely isn't going to be your top eight by the acc championships right so it you know from a logistical standpoint maybe it'd be nice if it worked out that way but hey you, you got to make sure as a, as a coach and as a staff and as a team that you, you're giving people opportunities to to challenge for seats in, in a higher ranked boat that you're keeping everyone honest through inter-squad competition because Hey, no, no one's going to take it easy on you on the race course. Right. So, so they have to, they have to support each other. We have to support them day in, day out in practice by developing that sense of trust about how we're going to select the lineups and how we're going to present opportunities to, you, you know, defend your spot, move up a spot, et cetera. Right. So when it comes to selecting a lineup, um, I like to say there, there's there's a thousand different ways to run selection for crews. None of them are objectively perfect. Um, we're we're an outdoor sport, <laughs> you know, like everything from wind to a passing boat to 
you know, practice schedule, you know, having, you know, we're obviously, we can't just be out on the water all day long, you know, doing every selection event possible. How long so, is a practice? How long would, a, how long is a practice run? So practice will typically, when, when it comes to our time on the water, we'll spend between 90 minutes and two and a half hours out for it for a typical practice run. Um, just to keep it as simple as possible, you, you generally have three training zones. It's really more like seven or eight, but just to, you know, streamline it, you basically have your, your steady state zone, which is call it the rowing equivalent to jogging. You know, it's, it's aerobic cardio conditioning, right. and it's a chance for crews to, to work on their technique, work on building their base fitness, work on blending together as a crew. You have anaerobic threshold workouts. That's, that's, everything from like your, your, your four by 10 minute style pieces to maybe some of your interval style pieces, like three minutes on one minute off or 40 seconds on 20 seconds off. And you, you do a bunch of them and that's not quite like, you know, full out effort, but you, you, you gotta get in, gotta get in the hurt locker a little bit for those, right. You, you, you know, you feel the burn of, you know, the, 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 the lactate burn. Right. And then obviously you've got race pace, which is in our sport going, if not a hundred percent, like we're talking like 99% of max effort and our racing distance is we, yep. we do metric and rowing. It's 2000 meters, a mile and a quarter. So that takes between six and eight minutes, depending on the, the, the boat class, the skill level and the conditions. So, so sim similar to, you know, like middle distance running that, 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 that kind of stuff, right? I probably like could do, I probably could do the math, but I'm not. So that, <laughs> how fast is the boat going? To go that so, many meters at, in that time, I, that's so, where the, I don't, but I'm not, uh, I'm not good at converting metrics. Sure, to, sure. You know, so, <laughs> so if on the you fly go, at least. Yeah. So six minutes over 2000 meters, which would be like, if you've got a women's eight, that's going to go six minutes over 2000 meters, that that's, that's Holland. Like I think the NCAA record right now is like 607 so get, getting very close to that six minute threshold the like the olympic level world record is five minutes and 50, 50 i forget if it's 52 or 54 seconds that, so boat, that boat is hauling butt but six minutes is 12 miles an hour which i know doesn't sound impressive you know if you're thinking of like your your car's speedometer or something like that but it, it's moving like when you're in the launch like the wind's blowing your hair and if you're in the boat like it's the fastest human powered watercraft is, is a rowing eight. Like, you know, no, no, nothing without an engine is, is going faster than you. So even for, even for, you know, a, a, a good collegiate program, they, they can hit speeds in excess of 12 miles an hour for their, like their absolute max out bursts. Right. Um, you, you want during a race to go as consistently as speed as possible, but, you know, sometimes it's fun to just go and blast some like 500 meter, <laughs> 250 meter pieces and just see absolutely how fast you can go. And yeah, you'll be pushing up, you know, like 13, 14 miles an hour in that case, but obviously for short bursts, it's not sustainable yeah. for the full race. <laughs> and are all eight. Um, so we talk about positions. So, you know, and in the NBA, there's a point yeah. guard in the center and football, there's a wide receiver and a quarterback. Sure. Baseball. So are, are there positions within the eight rowers yes. and are they, and, and they have different um, responsibilities, even though I guess the, the oars are still, are, are still sort of moving at the same general yeah. pace. Do they have different skill set requirements amongst sure. the eight that make that boat move or the inner, the intertwining of all eight of them, ha you know, have the effect you're looking for as the coach in, in your sport? 
Sure. Uh, the the unsatisfactory answer to that is the classic, like yes and no. Um, <laughs> so well, it, let's just I start. Accept. With I accept. <laughs> so we'll just start with the eight. So though it's not creative, you just number the seats from the bow, which is the, the front of the boat, you know, the direction the boat's going through the stern. And then the coxswain in eight actually sits all the way in the stern and actually has to kind of look through the rowers, so to speak, to tell where she's going uh, as she, she steers the boat. So you just number the seats from bow to stern. The kind of traditional setup would be your, you go by pairs. So your stern pair, your seven and your eight seat. Those, those are the two that they're, they're going to set like the rhythm, the, the stroke rate. We, we go by strokes per minute, how many strokes per minute you're taking. Um, they're they're going to set like the rhythm, the cadence, the length, and, and, Traditionally speaking, you'd say those two rowers maybe don't need to be like the biggest, strongest rowers, but they've they've got to have a great grasp of, of the the not just the rowing technique, but that kind of indescribable sense of like, you know, rhythm and like, and they have to have that killer instinct during a race where, where they know when to, you know, maybe up up the rate a little bit, or maybe when to lengthen out the stroke and put some more crushing power on it, kind of have that that real sense of a racer to them. Then you'd say the middle four of the boat, so seats three, four, five, six. <laughs> God, I'm with you. Are, are, are th those are your 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 engine room is the colloquial term. So they're they're your biggest, strongest rowers. Maybe they're not the most refined technically, although you'd want everyone to be well refined technically. But they're your tallest, your strongest rowers. They're going to be the the engine room of the boat. And then seats one and two, bow pair. Again, traditionally speaking. There, there may be your your smaller athletes that you have in the boat, and it, it's the boat does taper. It does get a little more narrow in the bow. Um, the boats fit. don't just go fit, flat right? through the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the boat the boats porpoise a little bit as, as you uh, go through the stroke cycle. So the bow is a little. Uh, it's a little touchier from like a technical standpoint. You you'll feel the surge of the hull a little more. So. So uh, you do need to be pretty, pretty slick with your technique to make sure, you know, you're not missing any water when it's time to get your blade in the water and you're not, you know, letting the, the porpoising of the hull cause your blade to pop, maybe pop out of the water, wash out, we call a little early. So th that's the traditional approach to, to setting a crew. And you can even apply that to a four and just kind of cut in half. You got your stroke seat, you got your engine middle two, and then you got your bow seat. Now, that's one way to look at it. The other way is every crew is going to be a little different. You know, you, you don't need to always be totally by the books and, and you know, what tradition states. If, if one rower just works best closer to the stern, then you, that's what you go with. You, you know what I mean? You don't want to try to hammer a, a square peg into a round hole too much. And also with modern day boats now, stuff like, distributed distributing the size of the rowers throughout the boat that that doesn't matter as much like the, the boats are designed to trim in the water the, the way you want them to regardless of if you've got your your biggest rower sitting closer to the bow or closer to the stern so the the two things i really subscribe to are i need my best racers to be in the stern pair because in rowing like you don't do any coaching when they're out there you, you push them off the dock for their race and they're on they're they're on their own and that, that i think that's a really cool element of the sport you know there, there's no timeouts there's no no coaches communication like it they're they're 
they're a team, they're unified, but they're also independent. And I, I think that's that's great, not just for their racing experience, but for for you know what they learn about themselves and what they can carry on beyond the sport. So I want my two most aggressive racers, the two that, you know, de defeat is the worst thing imaginable to them from the time the starter, you know, says go to the time the finish line horn sounds, right? And also they need to have a good rapport with the coxswain because the coxswain does have a, they, they do have a speaker system. They've got like the, the pop star microphone, you know, that it wraps around their head and just sits there in front of their mouth. So they're going to communicate to the whole crew. But, you know, sometimes the the the, the coxswain, the stroke seat, you know, cover up the mic and just have to, you, you know, like, hey, I think we got to start our finishing sprint early, like call it now. Or you, they, they also have to have that. In the race, they're having that conversation. In well, that not like a, it, from the rower standpoint, it may be like, start the sprint <laughs> and like, that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Got it. Um, but, but that, that's the thing. Cause the rowers aren't going to be able to talk outside of a few ragged gasps. If absolutely necessary, the coxswain has to have that, you know, almost like a, a telepathic connection with her stern pair. So she can, you know, not just see, okay, what, what's the boat giving me as a whole. And, you know, what's my little onboard computer telling me and what are my eyes telling me about how we're rowing and where we are in the race. But like, like what what vibes am I picking up from my my stern pair? What might we have to tweak on the fly for our race plan? And then the more of a rapport you have between stern pair and the coxswain, the you know the the less energy is going to be expended making those decisions. You can just intuit into them and and you know make those calls, make those moves that ultimately may end up deciding the race. So two things: how do you find coxswains? Like how how does you know right? Like because they're not rowers, I presume. Sure. I presume so when you're. Yep when you're looking for them as part of your team, that's almost like a separate sure. entity. So how do you find them? And then the other thing I was going to ask you is, and I'm sure this is true, but I just want to ask it like if you're scouting and you you're seeing a, a club sport club event and yeah. eight people, eight, eight rowers on the boat. Like, can you see the one, like, can you see like, that's a bad, that's a bad mamma jamma, right? Like that, oh, yeah. like, can you tell right away? Like oh, yeah. I of those eight, that's the one. And then, and then to answer about the Cox and like, how do you, how do you go about finding uh, them? And, and they probably, they have a very interesting role, right? They're like an, a Absolutely. direct extension of you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, the, the coxswain is, you know, at once an incredibly integral and crucial part to the team, obviously like the, the, the crew, the team does not exist without coxswain. So they're in no way like a, a second class citizen on the team or anything like that. But yeah, they do occupy a, a very different role because they're they're not holding an oar and pu pushing on an oar to propel the boat. So coxswains are, are generally they're they're too small to to make it as as, as a rower for the most Got part. It. They're they're smaller people. Though the way it works is uh, there's a weight minimum for a coxswain. And if they weigh under that, they actually have to carry weight in the boat to, for fairness. Oh, purposes. really? Yep, exactly. So um, the weight minimum currently in the NCAA is 110 pounds. So if you weigh under that, then uh, they'll, depending on the regatta, you might get like a put sand in a bag or, you know, yeah. put, you know and then, then you weigh it and you make sure that between your body, they weigh the coxswains in and between the coxswains weight and the, the weight of the package that they, they meet the, the minimum threshold. Now, so, so that gives you an idea of the, the, the size of people that gravitate to, toward coxing over rowing. Um, to, to recruit them, you, you know, it's, uh, 
you, you want to watch them race, you want to first and foremost, make sure the coxswain can steer the boat because on race day, they've got to be straight as an arrow, no matter what the, the wind or the current or what's going on around them. They got to be able to steer the boat straight. And they also have to be able to keep the rowers and the equipment safe because, hey, we're, we're an outdoor water sport. Like you, you got to steer around hazards and, and you got to do that and not, you know, cause the rowers to start looking out of the boat and wondering what the heck's going on. So you have to have that that cool, calm command to you where it's like, don't worry, I, I got this. Like you're you're safe in my hands. I, uh, we're going to make sure we're able to get this workout in and uh, we're, we're going to get everyone back to the dock again in one piece. So that's first and foremost. Then beyond that, it's, we need to trust them to be able to execute the workout. So when us coaches get, you know, we're going to do X amount of distance or time at a set stroke rate at a set intensity, they, they've got to keep the rowers there, not get them, you know, too keyed up so that they're going high on the rate or, or, you know, cooking their goose too early in the workout, but also making sure that, Hey, this is the day's expectation. We, we got to meet it. So then that brings in the, the motivational factor. And where are you, so for practice, you're where are you in the water? Not like body, but, but yeah, we, we have these, uh, we, we call them launches, coaches launches. So they're, they're these cool, uh, they're like mini pontoon boats. So they're fiberglass uh, platforms on a couple, two or three pontoons. And we call them wakeless launches. Now they, they provide, they throw up a bit of wake, but the idea is they don't throw up like a big choppy wake, like you'd see off the back of, you know, a Boston whaler or something like that. So a, we don't disturb all the moored boats and docks along our rowing course and feet. <laughs> that way if you know me and another coach are, are crossing paths going different ways like we don't have to like stop our crews and and wait for all the waves to go by and interrupt uh, other people's practices so yeah we're, we're there watching them but i, I don't want to be explaining you know the 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 ins and outs of the workout all the time i want to be able to coach the rowers because i'm going to be able to see them from different perspectives from the coxswain so the coxswain has to be able to execute the workout and i know they're not rowing but they, they've got that connection with the rowers where the rowers like they're going to listen to the coxswain and then they're going to do what the coxswain says no matter what and then beyond that comes that you know the motivational aspect and yeah they do have to be coaches in the boat a little bit so they got to get that rapport because they're teammates right so whether they take more of a, a drill sergeant-esque approach or take more of the I'm just one of I'm just one of the one of the team approach both both can work um but they they gotta keep the rowers motivated and from their perspective watching the rowers head on they're gonna have a great view of what the blades are doing you know like the blades in sync and they're gonna feel what the boat's doing underneath them there's a certain feel that a boat produces when everyone's moving together on the recovery when the blades are out of the water you know letting the boat run along and then how the boat picks up on the drive, which is when you put your oars in the water and use the oars to propel the boat. So they're going to have that perspective and that sense of feel to communicate technical aspects. And the, the better they can do with, with that series of tasks, the more it frees up me as a coach to, say, follow along beside the crew and see them from the side perspective and give other bits of feedback to the rowers, take video you know, met, met, you know, how are they looking, you know, holistically as a crew? Cause I know the coxswain can't see that as well. Right. So the better the coxswain can, can, can execute those three stages, the, the more it frees the coach up to just help the rowers improve as opposed to feel like I'm always having to check in. Are they on rate? Are they on, on target split or, you know, like, so, so a, a coxswain that can do that, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. They're invaluable. They, they, they're truly the, the difference makers. I would imagine. Um, can you give me some idea of 
the kind of uh, either strength or endurance or both your rowers have the have to, that kind of cardio mm -hmm. the car combination of cardio and just brute strength that they have to be in and yeah. what maybe an example of, of something you do from a training regimen that's so grueling uh, and I only ask that from the standpoint, I want people to sure. I always, I always ask for details on these things. I want people that are listening to really kind of like, uh, understand, uh, at any level, the sort of the dedication and sacrifice and really what sure. athletes are putting their bodies through. Sure. Like, oh, it's rowing. No, no, no. Like the brute brutality of whatever <laughs> you're asking of them and what their bodies mm -hmm. are doing and how they're responding. Sure. So, um, yeah, rowing can best be described. It's a, it's a both a, it's a power endurance sport. Like you, you need to be as strong as possible, not just to maximize the output per stroke. You know, the amount of oomph basically you can put behind each stroke, but also you know to keep yourself free of injury. You, you know, what I mean, you're putting your entire body under a lot of strain during the rowing stroke. You're using your legs your hips, your core, your back, your lats, a little bit of your arms, hopefully not too much though, but it, it is a like a, as close to a full body workout in general as you're going to get. So we, we need them to get build muscle, build strength, build power, and to go along with all that, build proper technique in the weight room so that they are strong and explosive, but also, you know, muscles like armor, <laughs> you know what I mean? Help them get as injury proof as possible in the weight room. Then on the water, going back. Like what, all right. So, yeah. So what's the, what's the day yeah. James, James Mulcahy comes to practice and they go, Oh, this is today. Today's the day <laughs> we got to do this. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm curious about that part too. Um, my, <laughs> It's funny, you know, you've got some rowers, they, they, they gravitate more toward the endurance end of the spectrum. So when you say, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to row, you know, 20 kilometers, 12 miles of, of steady state. So for some of them, that's like, yeah, okay, this is going to be 90 minutes of cardio work, but like, I, I got the, I got the lungs for it coach. You know what I mean? For others are going to be like, Whew, all right, I'm going to be grinding <laughs> this out for a while now. Like, you know, make sure my water bottle's full, that kind of thing. The real like gut busting workouts, um, in my experience, the one that the, the rowers have a, have a real love hate relationship with, um, I, I call them ski jumpers. Um, I forget who I cribbed that term from. So I apologize if he or she's listening, cause it's not my own. And that that's an anaerobic threshold workout. And it kind of runs you through all the gears, uh, in terms of the stroke rate spectrum. So a classic example of that would be like three by or four by 12 minute ski jumpers. And you'll do like, you know, three or four minutes at a low rate, like kind of, kind of like a roller coaster. Like it starts off slow, but almost ominous. So like you start off at a low rate and a challenging target pace. Then you do a couple minutes at like a medium rate. So, okay, we got to up our game a little bit here. We got to increase the amount of strokes we're taking per minute, but put in just as much, if not more effort per stroke to hit this new speed target. Then like a minute at your race pace, and then you do like 30 seconds or 20 strokes at absolute max out pace. And then you immediately shift right back down again to your starting rate, back down to your low rate. But you don't get any, you, you don't take any strokes off. You don't, you just take a big breath on the recovery. You slow yourself down in between strokes and then you hit that low rate stroke as hard as you can to actually try to, you know, aerobically metabolize some of that, you know, some of that you know, waste product, you know, lactic acid that's been building up 
for for that first you know 10 and a half minutes and then you just gotta push and push and push it out and then finally you know stopwatch hits 12 and you get you know you get six seven eight minutes off to to catch your breath and truly go on the paddle and recover a little bit and then you gotta do it again and then you gotta do it again <laughs> then you gotta do it again and it's the, the yeah it's one of those workouts where the rowers would be like oh man we are we're gonna go to the well today but you, you do it right. You, you, you get that feeling of like, all right, we, we can handle anything. You know what I mean? We just did four by 12 minutes, absolutely, you know, busting our guts to, to achieve what we had to achieve. All of a sudden, like, yeah, I know it's going to be at a higher stroke rate. It's going to be a little more intense. But that that six and a half minute race, like we, we got this in the bag now. <laughs> Well, listen, I, uh, I enjoyed this. I always just like hearing, uh, hearing uh, everyone's journey and story and learning about things that I don't know so much about. Uh, welcome to Miami. Thank you, uh, the, you, the, the green and orange and white looks good on you. And uh, it. It, it, when do we get cranking up? Do, do, you, do you crank up when the school year starts? Yeah, we're 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 a spring sport, so you know we'll we'll get the athletes together. We're we're aiming for first day of classes on the twenty second. Have our first team meeting and uh, get into our our off season training. And we we do have some fall competitions. Um, they're more like scrimmages, obviously, but you know we'll we'll be uh be hitting the water, getting into training, and get into racing here very soon by October. So can't wait. And what and last thing, so sure. give me give me uh. Two or three years from now, four or five years from now, you're that you're still the head of this machine you've built. What it, what does it look like? Where's Miami? What does it look like? How, what's your 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 vision for grandeur? You know, for for what you want to accomplish here. I'm gonna need to build a big trophy case, uh, and it's gonna be filled with you know trophies for on water accomplishments. But I I want them to keep winning the you know, the community service awards. I want them to keep winning. You know, want them to keep helping their their school their department their community as well that's one thing this team's always been excellent at so you know right now in my office we've got one trophy from a from a conference runner-up championship but we've also got the 2022 community service award so uh, i want a lot more of both of those style trophies to like i said to the point where we got to build a new trophy case all right james mulcahy the new head coach the new rowing coach at the university of miami thanks for joining us on behind the u and uh, go out in Coral Gables and in, enjoy the scenery, right? I who's will. Got, who's got it better than us? Nobody, right? Nobody. Nobody. There we go. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Josh.